Welcome to this week's edition of Bowl Season Stories. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And each week, different guests from the world of college football join me to talk about current topics in the sport, as well as discuss what they remember most about their bowl game experiences. Our guests include members of the media, former players, coaches, sports executives, and even fans who will share their favorite bowl season stories with you. Today, we are joined by college football staff writer Grace Rayner from The Athletic, Notre Dame football legend Rocket Ismail, and college football playoff foundation executive director Britton Banowski. Also joining me as she does each week is our on-air producer, Angela Lang. Good morning, Angela. Good morning, Nick. Great to be with you to talk about another week of college football. And I hear you got out the house and we're in the stands this week. I did. I I, uh, I love rivalry games. It's amazing how many we had early in the season. And I'm looking forward to talking to Grace about some of those. But I was at the Air Force Navy game on Saturday uh, on 9-11, which, which was pretty special. The, uh, the game wasn't the most exciting game, but the pregame, the halftime, uh, the flyover, the, the parachutes, the things they did to honor the, the fallen victims from 20 years ago was really pretty awesome. Yeah, college football as a whole did a great job of, of remembering our fallen heroes on that day, but being at that game in particular, I'm sure was really touching um, and an opportunity to reflect on those that we lost. You just mentioned uh, Grace Rayner, and I want to go ahead and bring her in from The Athletic. Uh, she covers Clemson, which uh, is a pretty big job uh, this year with their team. And I just want to mention, too, she's probably not going to brag on herself, but she's a recent recipient of the ESPN Edward Ashoff Rising Star Award. So congratulations, Grace, and thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you all for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Grace, I mentioned that rivalry game. I think the the thing that stuck out for me in week two of the season was how many rivalry games there were so early on. I, mean, I, I mentioned Air Force Navy, you know, BYU defeating Utah for the first time in a long time. That and in that state, that rivalry is is the biggest rivalry in, in the world. In that state, uh, Iowa defeating Iowa State. They were both top ten teams going in the, into the game, and then then uh, we saw kind of an old rivalry, Arkansas upsetting Texas, an old Southwest Conference matchup. That's destined to be a Southeast Southeastern conference matchup in the future. Uh, what was your take on week two of the season? Yeah, week two, it seems like just kind of left, it picked up right where week one left off, but yeah, to me, Arkansas, Texas was probably the most entertaining just because I think all of us were so surprised at just how, how badly Arkansas beat Texas. Um, I thought Iowa would beat Iowa state. I had questions about Iowa state coming off that Northern Iowa game. Uh, but I think the biggest, the biggest game of week two that we were all, you know, just locked into was Ohio State, Oregon, and kind of what that means for, for the college football playoff moving forward. Yeah, I thought that game was interesting for a number of reasons. One, 7.7 million people watched that game. That was the sixth highest game, college football game in the history of Fox. Uh, so college football is as popular <laughs> as ever. We know that. And also what it means for the postseason, you know, at, at, here at bowl season, we look at college football's postseason as kind of having two components. You have the playoff component and you have the rest of bowl season. So on one end, you know, the playoff end of the postseason, you know, Oregon's in the mix. Ohio State's been in it a lot. It kind of throws that, uh, you know, jumbles that up a little bit, which is, I think is good for the game. And then on the other side of the postseason, when you, when you look at bowl season, I was intrigued with a team like Rutgers uh, with getting their second win. They're 2-0. Uh, looking to go to a bowl game for the first time since 2014, you know, Greg Shiano's first time around there, he, uh, he, he got them going on a roll of nine bowl games in 10 years. 
but they haven't been to a bowl game in seven years. So now they got two wins. They play an FCS opponent looking to get halfway to bowl eligibility next week. So you got the playoff side of the bowl picture and, and, and already early in the season, you got the rest of bowl season starting to starting to get interesting. Sure. Yeah. I think that's what's been interesting about this season so far is that on both ends, we seem to have some fresh faces and some kind of new blood with both the playoff. And then, as you said, some of these teams that have struggled historically kind of building. And we saw that with Rutgers. We saw that with Arkansas. Um, and now Iowa seems like maybe the, the team to beat in the Big Ten. So I, I think it's good for the sport, like you said, to kind of have some excitement outside of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's kind of been one of the knocks on the playoff, you know, as successful as it's been in seven years. You're kind of seeing the same teams in it. So it's always good to get new blood in that. And, you know, keeping with those themes of, of rivalries and bowl games looking ahead to next week, uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma, you know, one of the, one of the biggest drawbacks to conference realignment, I think is, is the, the death of some rivalries. And, and when Nebraska went to the big 10, they didn't play Oklahoma as much anymore. I, I'm not sure if they've played each other since. So for, for them to play each other, uh, that, that, that's pretty special for me growing up. That was, that was the, one of the rivalries, if not the rivalry in college football. That's super cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see those teams give at it. I think Alabama has Florida this week. There's some good games like Penn State and Auburn. There's some really good games this week that should be pretty fascinating. But yeah, I'm with you. Just the history of Oklahoma, Nebraska, I think will be cool. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Alabama, Florida. Some people are calling this the biggest game Florida's had since Urban Meyer was the coach. Uh, and obviously that has has playoff implications. And I, you know, I, again, I go back to, you know, every team is different. Every program is different as they try to build. There is a number of teams that are two and zero that haven't been to a bowl game in a while. They're playing for their third win. And if you haven't been to a bowl game and you you're looking forward to that, if those teams can get their third win already and they're halfway to bowl eligibility, that's when the excitement really starts building and it becomes really, really fun. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we just, we were talking to Dabo Sweeney this week and he was saying kind of the same thing. Like it is wild to think that after this week we're through the first quarter of the season. So to look at it in terms of being 25% done with the regular season and in some of these teams cases, 50% to, uh, to getting that bowl game bid locked up this, this season is moving. That's for sure. Bowl season will be here before you know it. For sure. For sure. I'm excited about it. Grace, thanks so much for your insight into week two of college football. And Grace is going to stick around as we welcome our next guest. You know, so many people have nicknames. So many athletes have nicknames, but um, very few have nicknames that have almost quite literally replaced their first nickname. We are so happy to welcome to the show former NFL player and Notre Dame legend and national football college football champion, Rahi Rocket Ishmael. Welcome to the show, Rocket. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Rock, it's such a privilege to have you join us. I, uh, our goal here on Bowl Season Stories is to talk about your, your experiences in bowl games, but I want to talk about your career at Notre Dame in general. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up this first question with a, a quick story. So sure. you, your senior year, fall of 1990, um, I had a buddy from high school, Rob Burke, who was a senior at Notre Dame, and I had graduated college the previous spring. So me and some buddies, we went out to visit him. We're like, we're going to go for a whole week. We picked a week in October. We had back-to-back home games. It was Air Force one weekend, Miami the next. And my buddy's roommate was the head manager of the football team, Sean Wilkes. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure you remember Sean. And 
so he, Shaw decided, all right, I'm going to put my, my roommate's buddies in, in manager gear and I'm going to let them watch practice during the week. So we're on the side, just hoping coach Holtz doesn't tell us to do something. Fast forward to the game. You beat Miami, right? It's the Catholics versus convicts grudge match, right? That you, you had beat them two yes. years prior at home. They beat you in Miami. So you beat them. They're number two in the country dashes their title hopes. Sean pulls us in the locker room. So we're in the locker room. We're, we're, we're like, geez, so we're standing in the corner. Now, for, for the listeners who maybe are younger and don't know uh, as much about you as they should, uh, or, for, or even for some of the people that forgot, you and Notre Dame football at that time was it. I'm not just talking about college football, like sports in general. So it's well after the game. The horde of people outside were not leaving. You're like, I'm not going to get out of here. So Sean put you in a in a uh, laundry cart with the wheels and dump some towels on you. And you went out the back door. I remember yes. that clear as day. Yes. So you could get a head start. It's not as if they were going to catch you if you ran to your apartment anyways, but you got a head start out the back door. So with that story as a lead in, what was it like to be rocket Ismail at Notre Dame at that time? Wow. Well, at the, at the time, probably the best word to describe it would have been, and I'm describing it from what I remember as a 20, 21 year old young man would be overwhelming in moments. It was overwhelming in moments. And looking back on it, it was from as a 51 year old man, looking back on it, it was probably one of the coolest times of my life because when I remember when I was young and the first time I saw a football game, I was five years old and it was like everything in me knew that that was what I was going to do. And that's what I wanted to do. And it just like, if you look at my life, everything that was necessary in order for that to become a reality started falling into place. And even when tragic moments happened or things that looked like they could have sidetracked or, or derailed the, the dream from becoming a reality, all of those things worked together. And at the end of the day, it was, uh, it was a journey and a time that was also filled with a lot of grace. So, man, looking back at that time, 21 years old, I, I felt overwhelmed. But now looking back on it, I mean, that was amazing. And to be able to have your, your dreams, like, so even when you were talking about with Sean being in the, 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 um, the laundry cart, I remember going into the equipment room and it was like, by that time, because it was my junior year and the team was really good and, you know, I was a one of the, the main cogs on the team. And I remember every year after the game going outside, it was one door that went right out and it's like the people are right there. And it would be several hours because you don't want to make anybody go away sad. And they weren't really taking pictures back then as much as they were signing little helmets and pieces of paper and stuff like that. And I remember going in and the door to the inside of the stadium was opened by one of the managers and they were taking carts out and they were putting the carts. Uh, and I was like, 
wait a minute. There's another way out of this locker room other than going through the stadium or going outside where the, the fans are. This was like going into the bowels of the stadium instead of going right onto the field. I was like, hey, where did these carts go? And it was the locker room our, our, where we practiced and everything was right across the street. And I was like, man, this goes right to the locker room. I was like, go tell my mom to meet me right across at the football offices. And I remember jumping in the car. And like you said, he threw some towels and stuff over me. And I just remember riding underneath the, all the towels and everything, hearing the people and hearing everything going on. And then he dropped me off in front of the football offices, like stuff like that. Like that was, oh, that was, it was fun. And uh, then meet my mom, go for dinner. So, I mean, that was a great time. And again, filled with grace. I'm glad I got to experience it. And what's cool now is being able, when I meet young guys in positions where it looks like they're going to probably have some prominence in the world of sports or football or what have you, man, I have, from based on my experiences, I have so many insights that I can share with them now that can help them handle the process better to lessen anxiety, lessen the stress, to lessen all of the things. Like a lot of times in life, we focus on a lot of the negative things. And, you know, rightfully so, because the negative things aren't comfortable. But I can say, okay, this seems this way now. Look at it this way. Handle it this way. And it'll be a blessing in your life. There's no doubt you could be a great asset to a lot of the, the younger players uh, in this generation, Rock. And it's great that you, you know, you see yourself as, as playing that role. And it's, uh, it's interesting to me what you said. Those moments, those memories, those weren't a surprise to you. You kind of envisioned that. Oh, man, I'm telling you, I now it was interesting because I literally in my first football experience ever was we went to a Super Bowl party. I was five years old. We were watching uh, the Steelers, Cowboys. My sister was actually watching the game. <laughs> it's hilarious. My sister was watching the game. And as, I, as she was watching the game and it was a, you know, a bunch of people around but I was going to go up behind her and like smack her on the back of the neck or something. And I remember right as I was getting ready to do whatever my devious deed was, I, I, I looked at what she was looking at and it, and it just like, it captured my imagination and I didn't even know what it was, but I was like, and I asked my sister, I was like, what is this? And she's like, this is football. And she started explaining to me what she was watching. She started explaining to me the two teams and I, I remember specifically her that the, she liked the Cowboys. She was like, okay, this is my team. I like the Dallas Cowboys. I was like, well, I don't like anything you like. I like this other team. And it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was like, from that moment on, I knew I was going to be whatever the Pittsburgh Steelers were doing. I knew I was going to be doing what they were doing. And it didn't dawn on me. I didn't know about high school football. I didn't know about college football in order to get to this, this place called the promised land called the NFL. But it was like, again, things started falling into place and just being made aware of Notre Dame. Like even, you know, you and I talked a little bit before the show and Syracuse played a big part in me going to Notre Dame in that they were the one of the hottest teams one of the hottest schools one of the hottest brands back in the day and then three hours south in northeast pennsylvania in wilkesbury man i remember going up to the the carrier dome was a big deal 
Like that was like, like one of the, the, it was like, for us, it was like the ninth wonder of the world, man. They had an awesome coach, Coach McPherson. And I remember uh, our, the summer before our junior year, going up to uh, the summer football camp that they had. It was probably about, man, probably about 300, 400 kids there, right? And they, they took us all over to the carry door. They're like, hey, we're going to run 40-yard dashes. And we're like, oh, yeah. And, you know, when you're young, man, <laughs> nobody can't tell you <laughs> that you're not good <laughs> or anything, right? So my freshman year in high school, I specifically remember running a 4.7 in a 40. And I thought I was the man. So now it's the summer before my senior year. And we line up in the carry dome. And I remember uh, – Coach Edsel, uh, Coach uh, Wojcik, um, and maybe Coach Fears. Like, I just somehow remember those guys. And you know how the carry dome is kind of intimate, man. It's like the stands are right there. Like, it's a, it can be a formidable place and very intimidating if you're another team coming up there thinking you're just going to walk over the, over the orange, man. And I remember the rules were, okay, they just line us all up. One at a time, go, 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 go. And when we would go, the rule was you ran your 40, you would get your time from the coach, you would run back down to start and tell another coach, okay, he told me I ran this, and they'd write it down. And I remember I got up there, and man, I just, yeah, came up the block, rule, bam. And when I turned around, I remember specifically Coach Etzel was looking at his clock, and I came up to him and he didn't even acknowledge me. He looked at his clock and then he looked at the other coach and he's like, hey, man, what, what'd you get? And the other coach was like looking at his clock with a big smile on his face. He's like, no, what'd you get? And they were like, they looked at me and said, hey, man, can you run that again? I was like, okay. So I ran back down. The coaches were like, what'd they give you? I was like, I don't know. They told me to run it again. I was like, oh, he probably missed it. Got down, bam, came out the blocks, boom. And this time, they were like, oh, my gosh. And they started congregating. And then they walked over to the stand, which was not very far, walked over to the stands. And they were like, hey, just go back down with the coaches. We'll, we'll talk to you later. And they were 40 yards away. It was like, and, they were, and when I went back to the coaches, and they're like, what would you run? I was like, I don't know. They, they're not going to tell me. And it was like an audible wave. I remember, I don't know if people, I don't know if they still do the wave, but back in the day, they used to do the wave. Remember, like, they used to stand up and you see it coming. And it was like an audible wave. And they were like 40 yards away, you heard murmuring, like, and then it got 30 yards away, and 20 yards away, and then when it got about 10 yards away, I'm like, this cat ran a 4-3, Man, you would have thought I broke the world's record. And it was like, immediately, my coaches were like, Oh my gosh. So they, they got me, we drove back down to Wilkesbury and that got the attention of coaches everywhere, which Notre Dame was a part of that. And I needed that because I literally had, uh, you know, I was very, if you looked at me, I was under, <laughs> if you were just like to come and sit me in the room, I was very underwhelming physically. <laughs> so <laughs> I needed something to get to everybody's attention. So it was like that right there was a major part. And then being a part of the resurgence of Notre Dame and then the rest is history. <laughs> 
Rocket, you mentioned, okay, so you get to Notre Dame and you're playing for Lou Holtz and, and obviously you had an amazing career and you played in some really big games in college, but just what stands out to you about playing in a national championship at the Fiesta Bowl, those Orange Bowls? When you look back at, at those, what, what stands out to you? So uh, what stands out? I think the fact that with youth, sometimes you don't realize how significant big moments in time are in the moment it's it's it seems regular to you and it it seems regular in that we we were talking about it and you just expect it to be there you just expect it like okay this is what it is Notre Dame is supposed to be in the national championship we're supposed to have big games so it was it seemed like it was regular and I don't think I you know, and, and then boom, the moment is over. It's like the game was, uh, um, uh, and and I would have thought that in the next three years or the next two years, I thought three initially, it ended up being two, that we'd be in this game all the time. And then you don't realize after you, after you get in that game, we played the national championship after that first year, man, it, like you don't realize now you're the number one team and everybody is like they're, they have a little extra energy to play you and, and you don't realize how tough it is. And then the the mentality, like I see it all the time and like colleges will have a, a, a game of the century and then the next week they'll play a team that they easily outmatch on paper and that if they played up to their capabilities, they they beat this team, you know, nine out of nine times if they had to play them that way. And then they don't play up to what their abilities happen to be. It's like that that dynamic is, you know, we had to go through that at times. And then you lose one game here, you lose one game there. Before you know it, you're out of title contention just that quick. So, so your, uh, ga- your game of the century at Notre Dame uh, was only valid until next week. When that when Man. that was the, when that was the next game of the century, exactly. And that CP, we used to marvel at how many games of the centuries we'd be playing in, and we would always say, "Man, a hundred years haven't even passed yet. It's been a couple of months, and now it's another century worthy game." And so it was like that used to perplex us a little bit. But it, to exactly, Nick, you're absolutely correct. That's just how it was. But the national championship was really cool. And, uh, but I don't, I didn't, we didn't, I didn't savor it. And I dare say we didn't savor it. The, I think the way we should have and realize the significance of it at the time. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easy to say now, Rocket. I mean, we all look back when we were younger and, and we think differently, <laughs> you know, we, that's, that's, what, know, that's what comes with our age, right? It's a little yeah. bit of wisdom. Yeah. Well, you, so you talked about the national championship game and how unique that was. Most people okay. don't get to do that, right? We right. have we have a bowl season that's there's there's a lot of bowl games. They're all meaningful to the teams who play in them, right? Every program's different. They're they're evolving differently. So you went to that Fiesta Bowl, won the national championship. Right. The following two years, you had great teams, but you weren't playing for the national championship. But you went to the mm. Orange Bowl. Now, right. Tell me how meaningful those games were. I think about the bowl game experience. You're you're in Miami five or six days with your teammates, right? especially that second orange bowl, you know, when that game was over, you were going to be a pro. That's a different, 
type of deal, right? But, right. but when you're your last college game in a bowl game with your teammates on on vacation, right? The the week leading up to it. Tell 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 us about that experience a little bit. Uh, then and then how you look back at it now. Okay, so in in a general sense, because we always looked at a bowl game as a reward slash vacation, and I think what put a uh, that emphasis, extra emphasis on it was the fact that, you know, in South Bend, man, the weather's turned, like, as soon as the calendar says it's the first day of fall or, uh, that doggone temperature drops and, hey, it's the first day of winter, that doggone, it's, it's crazy. So you're always looking for some type of warm, uh, embrace from the weather. So the fact that we were going down to Miami was something that we always look forward to. Uh, the cool, and it's not man. We were back in the days where the gifts, if you were, if you will, weren't as lavish as they are now. And when teams go to bowl games, man, it's like those doggone bowl games, th- just the, the gifts alone, it is, it, it boggles your mind. It is pretty amazing. So, we would, whatever the level of gifts were that we were expecting, we get a sweatsuit, maybe some extra shoes. Um, uh, maybe they give you like a wallet or a little pence, a hat, uh, something that was useful for wherever you came from. Like we were always looking forward to that. We were looking forward to, I think we got per diem, I forget, but the per diem was pretty cool. So we were looking forward to that. Um, and then we were looking forward to, because we used to stay at this place, uh, I think it's called Key Biscayne, because the Orange Bowl was uh, right over the bridge. And man, that was like the lavish life. It was back in the day they had this show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Man, this hotel was the epitome of that. So it was like, that was something that we always we all look forward to. Um, and so it was like, I remember what was cool also was Derek Brown was from Miami and, and Derek Brown back in our day, like our fr- the freshman year, the year before his senior year in high school, he was like the Gatorade player of the year, USA Today, full spread. Like he was the man. So when we're going back to Miami, the team is playing well. Uh, we beat Miami uh, a couple of those years, man. He he knew everybody. When I say every, I'm talking about from Uncle Luke and the two live crew to man, uh, maybe pit bull like crazy. Like he knew it, so we could go anywhere in the town, and people would, you know, we could skip the line, like that kind of stuff. So all those things we were looking forward to. Plus, you had the game and uh, the the lavish weather. I, I will say, I, I thought I witnessed a beheading at one of the the events at the hotel. And I remember one of the hotels had like a a man-made pond or not, it was like more than a pond, but like a, it was a pretty substantial body of water behind it, but it wasn't in the ocean. It was independent of the ocean. It was still on the hotel property and they had a little, I don't know, I, I don't know how to distinguish the names of boats, but it had a little boat. And when I say a boat, maybe 12 
guys could fit in it at one time. It just kind of cruised around. It was something fun to do. And they had jet skis. And man, you know, when you get guys, you know, you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, man, testosterone is, is zooming. You're taking it. You like All you want to do is go fast. You want to show people how far you can jump and all that stuff. I remember Jerome Bettis was on one of the jet skis and he was talk he was talking to us and he was like in front of the boat and he was saying something and some guys behind him I forget who they were they were racing and it was like they were racing the jet skis but they didn't even consider that okay at some point you're going to have to stop and it just so happened that Jerome's jet ski was right in front of them as they were coming from this great distance we're like stop 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 and the jet ski went in the air. Jerome is here. The jet ski went in the air. And from our vantage point, it looked like it hit him in the head and he went under the water. And we were like, we were in shock. We were literally in shock because we were like, oh. everybody froze for about four seconds. And then we're, and, and, and nobody's coming up out from underneath the water. So we're like, oh my God, somebody get help, get help, get help. And then Jerome floats up probably about 10 seconds later with a bigger smile on his face and our hearts start beating again. But I mean, it was fun, man. It was a great time. We loved it. And I'm so thankful for bowl season because outside of maybe going to different games, man, I don't know that we would have had that experience or been able to afford an experience like that. Uh, most of us when we were younger. Yeah, Rocket, it's it's uh, it's clear that you have so many vivid memories and just hearing you talking about getting excited about the per diem and that kind of stuff. But just when you look back at your Notre Dame career playing for Lou Holtz, you're a Hall of Famer, Walter Camp Player of the Year. You finished second in the Heisman, all these huge moments. Just what what did your career at Notre Dame mean to you? Well, first of all, let me you touched on something that was hilarious. And so one of the big things was on, if we had a bye week we would go and like go to other universities. They, they had Purdue, they had Indiana. Um, sometimes we'd drive to Tennessee State. We'd go all over, wherever uh, $15 worth of gas would take us. And back in the day, that'd fill a tank up. And so, especially for Honda Civics. So literally, I remember we were driving down, it was my, uh, my sophomore year. We were, we were driving to, it was like a big Greek weekend at, I think it was Purdue. And we get there and we're in, my roommate was from Gary, Indiana. Shout out Rusty Setzer. He was from Gary, Indiana. He was the man in Indiana, knew everybody. And so there's this big party on campus and I was the man because I knew all the latest dances and I could challenge anybody undefeated to this day. I digress. So all of a sudden, we're getting ready to go to this party, but the Heisman presentation is on and Tony Rice is one of the finalists who uh, went to New York. So we're like, yo, T. Rice is on, T. Rice is on. So <laughs> we turn on the the television and we're ironing clothes and got the music on like yeah it's about to be on and so tony rice uh i think came in the top five and they were still mentioning names and then they go 
And Rocket Ismail from Notre Dame comes in like 12th place. The room erupted. We're like, oh, 12th place. This is the best. It's about to be on. All throughout the night, wherever we went, every if if we went to a club because we weren't 21 yet, uh, if we went to a club or and they were like, give us a, they were like, yo, my man right here, Rocket Ismail, just came in 12th place in the highs, and they were like, what? Get in this club, <laughs> like it was amazing. So that was amazing, right? So now fast forward to the next year, <laughs> man. I'm telling you that next year we were. Uh, so I get invited to New York. So this is my junior year. I get invited to New York. Like you said, I come in second place. I get back to campus. I'm telling you, you would have thought I died. Everybody was so sad and everybody was so dejected and just like all hope was lost. And they were like, man, it, it was it was really it was like the spirit of mourning was all over the campus and especially in Grace Hall where I used to live. And then it was like, in my mind, I'm like, yo, I came in 12th place the year before and it was a party. This is your second place and everybody's like, the, the, it's the end of the world as we know it. And to me, I was like, yo, cheer up. I'll be back. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't realize that I would end up going go pro, go pro, and that would be the last time. But that was interesting. So, what was the question you asked me before I went on that rant? <laughs> no, no, no. Just, just what your career meant to you. I mean, you, you, oh. you just have such rich stories. So, man, no, my career at Notre Dame was amazing. It was excellent. Uh, and then uh, I'm telling you, just so many, man. I really believe that. When you're young, man, you, you, you can tap into something greater than yourself and believing, desiring, uh, and like the, there, there's a time where I, I, I believe every human being on the face of this earth can tap into a greater level of significance. And what I realize now is this life is beautiful, but this world is treacherous and you need help to navigate the world in order to experience the beauty of life. And a lot of that we unfortunately leave on the table because we don't, we don't know how to tap into the part of us that can put, can, can believe, can put energy out that will allow for Whatever it is that we desire to the, the for the proper things to fall in place to make that a reality. And so I say all that because when I look back on my career at Notre Dame and the things that had to transpire in order for that to uh, become a reality, that's exactly what happened. I was it was I was blessed to be able to tap into that. And man, I'm eternally thankful. And I know people, they'll look and they'll say, well, you had this, you had that, man. Every, anybody who's listening to this, whatever it is that you desire to do, even if you forgot what you desire to do because the cares of life 
the deceitfulness of riches they've stolen from you that even your the fact that you remember man i used to want to do this i i used to have an ability to to do that i man it's not too late tap back into that and man we can all live our dreams rocket that's an amazing perspective um i've always been a fan of yours i'm i'm probably a bigger fan now after after visiting with you <laughs> Thank really, you. really, really appreciate your time. Uh, we could talk all day here, but uh, but we're going to let you go. Thank you so all much right. for being on the show. I appreciate it. Good luck to you. Thank you, Nick. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank, thank you, guys. Thanks, Rocket. And Grace, Grace, thank you as well for, for helping me with uh, Rocket and for chatting early on. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be, uh, we'll, we'll spend some more time in the future. And we're going to take a short break and be right back with the College Football Playoff Foundation Executive Director, Britton Banowski. Stay with us. Ticket Smarter is the official ticket resale marketplace of bowl season. Nothing compares to the power and excitement of live events. Ticket Smarter is the smarter way to buy tickets for live events like sports, concerts, and theater. Visit TicketSmarter.com or download the app today. Welcome back to Bowl Season Stories. This is a very special week. It's the College Football Playoff Foundation's Extra Yard for Teachers Week. It's an opportunity for the college football community to recognize and honor honor teachers nationwide for their hard work. And this year marks the first of a new partnership between bowl season and the College Football Playoff Foundation in which all 44 bowls across the country participated in the big day for teachers, which was September 14th. CFP Foundation Executive Director Britton Badowski joins us now. And Britton, I know this is one of your favorite weeks of the year. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey Britton, Nick here. How are you? Hey, Nick. I'm doing great. Good to see you. Good to see you, Britton. You've been uh, you've been around college athletics for a long time now. You were commissioner of Conference USA for 13 years. You and I have known each other a long time. We've w- worked together in the past on NCA committees. I think we even helped uh, start or prop up a, a couple of bowl games here and there together along the way. Um, but since its inception seven years ago, you've been the executive director of the College Football Playoff Foundation. Tell us a little bit about that organization and, and why this was something that you wanted to be a part of. Sure. Um, so when we built the uh, CFP coming off the BCS, which nobody really liked, um, there was a lot of uh, marketplace interest in the new playoff format, obviously, and um, ESPN was a very aggressive um, bidder for those rights. And we got to the point, um, I was in Conference USA at the time, <laughs> where we were about to do the deal. And a few of us around the table talked about whether this should be um, a community investment component embedded into the CFP. And uh, we kind of agreed that that would be a good idea, that we should be thinking about how we, you know, contribute to the communities that we, that are hosting the game primarily. But then um, we created a little subcommittee, Jack Swarbrick and Bob Bowlesby in particular were on it, Bill Hancock helped. And we went off and we talked about what was important to us and what would be the right cause. And we um, came out of that meeting with kind of a clear consensus that that the CFP foundation would be um, developed, would be created, and we would um, dedicate all of our energy and resources to supporting teachers across America. Awesome. You know, the bowls, the bowls in general, um, you know, initially the, the six, uh, near six games, and then it expanded to a few others. They've been partners with the CFP foundation from the start. 
uh, as executive director of bowl season. I'm, I'm thrilled and we're thrilled to have this new partnership with extra yard for teachers and, and one that now includes all 44 bowl games that participated in the big day, which was just this Tuesday, September 14th. Tell us what is the big day and what is its purpose? So, um, we started this XGR for Teachers Week about six years ago, and we basically carved out a, a week during the football season, not unlike you know what happens around the military appreciation and and breast cancer awareness weeks. Um, we decided you know let's carve out a week to uh, really honor and recognize teachers, and then um, it was great, and we had great support from our institutional partners and ESPN um, to showcase teachers, but then. As we were in the pandemic last year, uh, we really weren't sure whether we were going to have a football season for a period of time there. But we were watching these teachers do amazing things um, for their students, con you know, converting to virtual learning, hybrid, hybrid learning, making sure their kids, you know, got the food they needed in some cases. And so we said, you know, let's see if we can maybe put a stake in the ground and get all of um, all of our partners to to recognize this amazing work that teachers are doing during this really challenging time. And so um, we decided to do it last year and got a huge positive response. Um, in large part, a lot of people were happy to be able to plan for something um, because, um, you know, they weren't able to plan for a football game necessarily. So we got, um, you know, the universities involved in the conferences in ESPN and had a huge response. And so this year we decided to do it again. And it was yesterday and the activity level was off the charts for us yesterday. And so, we're grateful for all the partners across the country, bowls, conferences, educational partners, um, ESPN, obviously um, partnerships like ours um, help accelerate the work, uh, Nick. So grateful for that. So, you know, we're honored to be uh, able to um, leverage the, the big platform that is the college football playoff for the benefit of something good. And we think uh, you know, teachers is a great cause. Yeah, we were very, very pleased to be a part of it. It did seem like it was everywhere on Tuesday. Um, maybe I'm a little bit uh, not not the best judge since uh, I follow all the appropriate people that that would be amplifying it, but uh, it definitely seemed like it had a very, very big reach and a very big impact. I know one of the goals you all have is to work with the host committees uh, at the CFP National Championship game each year and really make an impact on the teachers uh, in that community uh, and one that leaves a, a positive wake after the game is over. Uh, what have been some of the highlights over the last few years to the foundation for the foundation at the CFP national championship game, especially working with such great people at the orange bowl, the sugar bowl, the peach bowl, et cetera. Yeah. So um, it is great to be able to do that. You know, we, we tried to evolve uh, the way that we approach our engagement with our host communities. You know, they raise resources to support our cause, but we don't want to do something superficial. We don't want to do something that's not, you know, hitting the, the, the right needs in the community. So we really take time to listen, um, create a strategy, collaborate very closely, um, create a lot of engagement, and then go execute the strategy over a period of time. It's not um, like we go into a um, community, build a field and leave. Um, we're there still working years and years after the game is over. So in Atlanta was when we really kind of got really focused around um, literacy. Um, kids weren't reading in the Atlanta public schools at the grade level they should be. And the teacher surveyed said that they really didn't have the confidence to teach their kids to read. So we, we created a partnership with the Peach Bowl host committee, Chick-fil-A, to raise $2 million to, to train all of the K-5 teachers in Atlanta 
on the state-of-the-art method of teaching um, kids to read. It got immediate positive results. And so the last five years, we've seen steady increases in the reading rates for the kids in Atlanta. Um, from there, we went out to the, to the Bay Area where we focused with the 49ers on STEM and STEM education and uh, really kind of concentrated on developing STEM programming and highlighting STEM programming all across the Bay Area. The Bay Area is a pretty big area, as you know. There was about 80 districts I think we were working with. So a lot of times, you know, if you're if you cast your net too wide, you kind of can't concentrate your impact. Um, and then we went to um, New Orleans, worked with the great folks at the Sugar Bowl and Jeff Hunley, and, and they identified um, teacher recruitment and retention is their biggest problem. They turned over one third of every teacher um, every year. So um, we created a, a, a strategy to um, improve the retention rates of teachers and improve the pipeline, working with colleges like University of New Orleans and others that have um, teacher prep programs. And then from there to Miami, where we worked on innovative middle school design and the great Folks at the Orange Bowl helped us design that work. And then here, I'm actually in Indianapolis uh, today, and we have some exciting stuff going on, including um, the build out of the Indiana Learning Lab, which happened during the pandemic. Um, it started with a million dollar investment. Um, and the Department of Education has now matched it with another $3.2 million. And so we have a sustainable digital platform that teachers all across the state of Indiana can use uh, to support their kids' needs. So. It's stuff like that that we really get excited about doing, and it's just a, an honor to be able to um, engage with the you know these great partners and, and make a difference in the communities. You know, obviously, the ultimate goal is to educate the kids. It's interesting to hear you say that some communities, the teachers didn't feel confident uh, that they could educate them the proper way. Probably, you know, I, I'm guessing because they didn't feel they had the resources to do it. Other communities there was such a high turnover rate of the teachers, as you said. Uh, I think one of the great traditions you you have is bringing in the 50 state teachers of the year to the CFP national championship game, uh, giving them a fantastic experience, honoring them on the field. I mean, you you watch them, their faces just light up. What, what's that been like? Uh, it's been really cool. Um, it kind of happened um, by happenstance, really. Um, we got this call. We, we, we got to know the folks at the Department of Ed in DC during the Obama administration. We got this kind of wild call out of the blue that said that they were looking for um, someone to sponsor a reception at the White House for, um, for some teachers. And we were like, that's interesting. You know, we'd love to do that. We, we wanted to see if we could put our signage up, but they told us we couldn't um, do that. Um, but we sponsored this reception and I got there, I remember, and I was waiting to, um, to go in and, and figure out what, all, what it was all about. And the person sitting next to me um, introduced herself as Johanna Hayes and she was from Connecticut and she was a big football fan. And she happened to be the national teacher of the year. And I said, well, you are actually the national teacher of the year, the one and only. And she said, yes, I am. And so um, I said, you know what? I think I could bring you to the football game. Would you come to the game in Tampa? She immediately accepted. You know, we do the selfie thing right there at the White House. And then I'm sitting next to, um, well, actually, I'm, I'm in line uh, to meet the president and had the similar kind of conversation with the guy. And so I said, so what do you do? And he says, well, I actually run this organization that does this teacher of the year thing. And I go, oh, that's awesome. And he goes, I'm a big college football fan, actually. I'm from University of Washington, UW fan, um, and still keep my season tickets. And my wife hates it when I take the red eye from Virginia all the way back to, 
to uh, well, yes, three small kids all the way back to um, to Seattle to see you know his Washington team play and then take the red eye back. Um, and the tickets come in the mail, and she says every time they come in the mail, she goes again, Chris, we're going to do this again. So we decided right there and then we're going to invite every teacher um, from all 50 states and a plus one to the game and figure out how to pay for it later. We knew we would be able to find a sponsor for that one. And so it's just been amazing to have them at the game and they add a lot of energy and, and it's really a symbolic gesture as we recognize those outstanding teachers from all 50 states and in the territories as well. What we're basically saying is college football cares about teachers and we're willing to stake out a space in the pregame to, to, to make that statement. Britton, you've done so much in the first seven years, but I, I know you're always looking forward. What are some of your goals in growing the CFP Foundation's partnership uh, uh, with bowl season, and how is that going to help you uh, grow what you've been doing in the past, even further in the future? Well, I mean, we're adding in incremental layers onto our work each year, and um, getting um, all the bowls involved is really a big deal. Um, they have platforms that are, in some cases, really immense platforms for them to be able to use those platforms to not only recognize teachers, but drive resources into their community to support K through 12 education. There's a huge impact. Um, it has been made, but it's gonna be even bigger uh, going forward. And you know that's how we scale our work. Um, you know We're a relatively small staff in the office in Dallas, but it's through these partnerships that we're able to deliver in all these communities across the country. So it's, it's a huge deal for us and we're so grateful uh, to be able to do it you know the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for us is to be able to kind of transcend the, the kind of the sports space um and be able to drive um impact at a level that's just significant that doesn't really depend on sports to to drive our work if you know what i mean we need to be an educational nonprofit um, that can make a difference um at a scale that is, you know, is bigger than, than just being tethered to a, a football game. Well, Britton, we're, we're thrilled with the partnership. You know, our mission at bowl season is to pull together the 44 bowls uh, and have them operate as many in as many ways possible uh, for, for, for the common good of each other, the common good of the community and, and to pull together uh, under the umbrella of, of organizations like the CFP foundation and extra yard for teachers and, uh, for us to be able to do that and and to support you and your organization and and do uh, help you do more good, you've done a lot of good in the seven years and 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 it's going to only grow from here. So, Britton, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for time your time on the show today as well. Thank you, Nick. And um, excited to kind of get this bowl season thing going. I think we're just kind of on the the beginning of something that's going to be super great. So, thank you for your time and having me on the show. Thank you. And thank all of you for joining us uh, for this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening. Bowl Season.